Crossing Broadcast is back. I am Russell Joy at Joy on Broad, joined by the lovely, sultry tones of Kevin Kincaid and Kyle Scott. Gentlemen, uh, what up? We, we, we were... We were really excited to do a podcast after what appeared was going to be a massive Sixers win, and um, Philadelphia happened. Well, you know, Brett Brown has got to go after leading his team to nine wins in their last 12 games, I think. Is that how you do it? Is that how it goes? Is the, uh, can I, has the notion that the people who hate on Brett Brown, is this like one of those things like the people complaining about the people who hate on Brett Brown have become more aggravating than the people who actually hate on Brett Brown? Have we reached that level yet or we're we not quite there yet? Yeah, it's getting there. I'd say it's getting it's, there for sure. It's it's process. So you're essentially asking are the process people more annoying than well, the mainstream no. Sixers fan? I well, mean, like, because yes, I, I saw more tweets last night of people poking fun at the anti-Brett Brown notion than I actually did of anyone seriously calling for his job. Now, maybe that's just because I'm highly cultured and file, follow only the best and brightest 3,520-some people in the Philadelphia sports. But, no, kidding. Uh, I don't. I see less of that, and it more seems like that knee-jerk reaction of like people building up a straw man to the Brett Brown thing. I think the Sixers, I mean— you know, Kevin, I'm sure has more thoughts on this than I do, but I, I I feel like the Sixers just sort of hit a wall at a certain point last night, and there was a <laughs> they hit a train coming in in Milwaukee in the third quarter there, and it is what it is. Runs happen all the time in the NBA. You're not going to have the fact that it was their best three players with the bulk of the misery in the third quarter. Like that's fine. It's going to happen. I'm not too worried about Joel Embiid, J.J. Redick, and Ben Simmons in the long run. And, like, that's really all it came down to. They just, yeah. you know, when they collapse, they seem to do it in a in a fashion that's a lot more spectacular than than most teams, you know. But the nice thing about it is that they, they get it out of their system. You know, I, I think, you know, my immediate reaction is that it kind of reminded me of London, you know, where they came flying out of the gates and, and were hitting mm-hmm. a bunch of shots. And then in the second half just looked like they couldn't really do anything, you know. Um, you know, they scored – 43 points in the first quarter, 29 in the second, 14 in the third, and 24 in the fourth. Um, and I think there was a, a span um, that started in the third quarter. Like two minutes into the third quarter, uh, the Sixers were up 81 to 62. Um, and the Bucks went on a 31 to 5 run to finish the quarter, which was 10, there was 10 15 remaining. Uh, so the Sixers turned it over like eight times i want to say seven or eight times they missed i think all but one shot they were like 11 for 12 or 10 for 11 or something like that and they had two more shots blocked um you know so there's the turnovers they couldn't hit anything the the bucks killed them on the glass and i think milwaukee had was like plus 25 and like total shots you know so when like when that happens they they fall hard and they fall in, in crazy fashion but you know the good thing about it is that they really haven't if you go back to the beginning of the month um, they've only lost back-to-back like consecutive games twice. They had a three-game losing streak and they had a two-game losing streak. And in everything else, they've, they've bounced back. You know, they followed up every other loss with a win. So, um, I, I mean, I, that's always I've always tried to take a glass half full kind of approach to the season. You know, um, and I, I think when you look at it that way, they tend to get it out of their system all at once and um, rebound pretty nicely. You know, and they have a winnable game coming up to uh, at Charlotte. You know, to kind of right the ship, if you will. And they better win that game. I mean, like, I I think the the way in which the wheels fell off 
was maybe the I, I think it like the most alarming part of it is when it's the young guys. If it's Ben trying to make something happen, getting himself caught off his feet and not being able to make that spectacular cross court pass. Like I think that's one thing. When Joel goes in and still doesn't have a, a for whatever reason has trouble recognizing a delayed double team that's being sent and having guys poking at the ball when it's by his knee. Like those turnovers I expect. It I, I think we all kind of knew that it was about to go terribly wrong when you started seeing Ilya Sova and JJ Redick then committing, you know, a bunch of the turnovers that well, a lot of them were just on lazy passes. I mean, like we're talking about guys starting at the top of the arc, can't even complete a, you know, three or four foot away pass uh, near the free throw line. Like that that kind of stuff to me is inexcusable and it like I, I try not to get too emotionally invested in a game and last night I got myself stuck reading slack which is my least favorite place to be during sixers games yeah. can we can we talk about that real quick i just want people yeah. to know like how Uh-oh. how much of a, like a wretched place that the crossing <laughs> crossing broad slack chat is after like during and after a sixers game and just to try to give you some flavor like it'll start with like jeff kind of talking to himself a little bit like he'll post like maybe four or five messages in a row and like all all and then we'll sort of get in there and we'll kind of join him but he starts earlier uh, than everybody else, and then Phil inevitably will come in and say something because he hates Brett Brown. He'll say something like, "Here we go again," you know, uh, McCannon's blowing the blowing the lead or whatever, and then it turns into this whole like just like devolves into this uh, this bullshit of just this team sucks and this guy's that and this guy's that, and it's like really um, really an unpleasant place to be, is it not? Our Slack channel, I think, is like it like going into it is is almost like a. Um a Thanksgiving dinner with the family, with all the extended family. Like you've got your, you have your uncle who's bitter about everything. You have your uncle who's, you know, just overly optimistic. And you're fine if you have to interact with them on Facebook with a comment here and there when you post a picture of your most recent trip to Portland, Maine. But like, it's different when they're all sitting at the table. And, and you just know that impending doom is on the way. And the second that Aunt Brenda drops the gravy... That Uncle Jeff is going to say it's okay, and Uncle Phil is is going to you know go on this long diatribe about how uh, the gravy boat was never meant to be used. It was only supposed to be up on a on a shelf on the china cabinet, uh, only to to be admired from a distance. And how if Aunt Brenda had ever actually learned how to use a gravy boat in etiquette school, uh, you know she would have she would have been much uh, better equipped to you know drop that lovely drizzle on that. Glorious and your mother was a potatoes. whore, Brenda. Your mother was a whore. I mean, seriously, like it's the only thing that I think is worse than the analogy that I just failed at making is <laughs> is is looking at at Phil and Jeff every Sixers game, just going back and forth. And like the worst part is like where it might start off with Jeff talking to himself, it always seems to end with Jeff talking to himself. <laughs> like, and I love Jeff. I think Jeff's great. But like, it's always it's always like at the end you have like the moments where we're like, all right, so how did this happen? Yeah. And then and Phil usually says, McCannon, you know the the rotation the rotations the the guys he used off the bench is inexcusable uh, lineup that he's rolling out, blah blah blah. And then at the end, Jeff goes, well, you you know like they they are young though, and and, and there's <laughs> you know Ben 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 did show some good some some good life out there and. And, you know, you think about in the Eastern Conference, you know, there aren't that many good teams. 
and he like starts talking himself back into the third yeah scene. he's kind of he kind of like gets over it you do the emotional knee-jerk kind of thing and then i might pop up and, and share like two or three lines like hey listen you know they get it out of their system now oh, they're not going to have 26 turnovers again and then i think everybody's feeling feeling pretty good after but yeah it's like it's like your in-laws at uh at, at a holiday or something like that you love them but you can only kind of like tolerate them for so long before you kind of walk over into the other room and uh, even though it's like the worst Detroit Lions football game on the planet, you'd rather go and watch that instead of spending some more time with them. It's Side like, note to this podcast, Kevin Kevin just got divorced by the time this actually posted. <laughs> no, nah, they're cool. <laughs> they, don't listen no, to, I, they don't listen to the Crossing broadcast, I don't think. Oh, my God. <laughs> Until like, someone tips off your wife and then your wife shows it to them. You have, you have to understand the line of succession. Yeah, it's a small world in, in uh, Philly sports. I think both of you have, yeah, I think both of you have good points about that. If, for people who don't know, because we talk about the Slack a lot on here, and, and people who listen to this podcast are probably a little bit more aware, but it's a very eclectic mix of people. So so just to be clear, the people in our Slack, just so everyone knows, and who, and people who are associated with the site, I'm going to tr- attempt to go in order of appearance here, but it is obviously me, it is, it is you, Kevin, it is you, Russ, uh, it, is, it is Bob... Um, uh, Bob, who does our Philly stuff. It is Anthony Sanfilippo, who does our Flyer stuff. It is uh, Sean Cottrell, who occasionally does our Eagle stuff. It is uh, Jeff, who is a cardiologist, who is uh, one of the investors. It is Mike, who owns his own business, who is one of the investors. It is Phil, who occasionally writes for the site and is a, is a lawyer. Um, who else? It is Chris, Chris who is one of the yeah. young college guys who does uh, a lot of our posts. And I think that's it right now. We had some other guys earlier, um, and it's it, and you have to understand what a melting pot this is. Like you know, for you and I, Kevin, like we work on the site full time. Bob is a teacher full time. Russ, you are a teacher full time. Jeff is a cardiologist. <laughs> Mike owns his own staffing firm. Phil is a lawyer. Uh, Chris goes to college. Like this is a very uh, Anthony has a full-time writing job, but also spent a significant amount of time covering the Flyers and had previously worked for the Flyers. So we have all these viewpoints, and it's like there's people who do it quasi-professionally, people who sort of do it professionally, people who have other jobs and are doing this as a side gig or because they have some money and some skin in the game, and like there's different levels of fandom there. There's different levels of expertise. There's different levels of like, you know, each person has their one team. Like, you know, Jeff and Jeff's team is the Sixers. Uh, Russ's team is, you know, what, the Union? What? Ish. Your team is the Union and the Flyers. So, like, everyone has their own. Yeah. You get it. Yeah, but they like so these th- guys. When we talk about the Slack, it's just a melting pot of all the people who work on this site, completely untethered and unfiltered, saying pretty much, um, you know, what's the uh, defamatory stuff all the time. <laughs> the well, fact can, that I just got like, pigeonholed is, is, is just so offensive to me. No, nah, but listen, man, when the good thing is when I, when I see how, you know, Jeff and Phil and Russ and all these guys react together, you know, as somebody who's down there on the beat, quote unquote, and surrounded by players and coaches and stuff like that it's it's nice to see the perspective of how people are watching these games unfold you know from from what is really is a fan perspective you know and it makes me think you know i'm think i'm thinking okay do people really think this about brett brown or do more people have this opinion or uh do people share this opinion you know and it makes you take those things into like consideration right um 
you know, when people get upset after 26 turnovers, you know, I'm thinking that sitting there thinking, well, how much is Brett responsible for that kind of stuff? Or how much is, is he responsible for them blowing big leads or, or things like that? You know, I think when you're a sports writer, you get kind of insulated if you're not, you know, involved with fan opinions or getting yourself into the mix or whatever. It's very easy to sit there and press row and just sort of go about your job and be detached and not be like emotionally connected to the team or whatever. It's easy for me to sit there and say, well, they lost one game out of 82 or something like that. But it's nice to have that perspective and say, okay, this is how people, there are people who feel this way and there are people who feel the opposite way. And and to see those arguments play out, as much as we make fun of them or we laugh about it, um, you know, it does give me, you know, an inside track as to how the a specific Sixers fans interact with each other and how they process these things, you know? So you try to take that into account when you're writing, obviously. Well, it's always funny too. Like I, I think, I think I get the biggest kick out of when you, uh, well, you Kevin get in the middle of, uh, of the heated battle between like Phil and, and Jeff and everyone else, because it's, it's akin to being at a bar and seeing somebody like the seven stages of drunk. And, uh, like there's the happy, happy drunk, the angry drunk, and then, like the stoner walks in, it's just like, yo, man, like we, we all is that me? I'm the stoner. I'm the you stoner. You kind of are because you're just like super chill and just like, yeah, man, like it's 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 all right. Like, but you have to. But it's good. It's nice team, to have those man. things. It's... Like when I when I sit there for like two hours today and I work on a story about like turnovers, you know, I'm sitting there trying to take those those guys' perspectives into it. You know, Phil will sit there for forever and say, well, Fizdale's still available. You know, I'm like, okay, well, does Fizdale get him to something better than 34 and 28 right now? I don't know. So I go back and I look at Brett's philosophy and, you know, Brett has been on the record this year saying, we're not going to walk the ball up the floor. You know, we want to play up tempo. We want to play fast. Um, you know, we have a rookie point guard who's six foot 10, who's a converted power forward. We have a seven foot two second year center. Who's really only in his first, who was, you know, has never played a full year before. Um, they have a point guard who can't shoot, another point guard who can't shoot, really. So, you know, you try to take those specific things into – you look at Brett and how he's built this team and what he's trying to get them to do. Um, they want to kind of be the Warriors 2.0. You know, they want to run and gun and shoot and pass the ball a lot. You know, they take pride in all the assists that they've had this year. Um, I think second or third in the league right now in assists per game. And uh, you think – you know, I always come back to the same conclusion whenever we talk about the turnovers thing. If you want to criticize Brett Brown, don't criticize him for the turnovers specifically, but criticize him for the philosophy of this team and what he's trying to build. Um, and if you think it's folly, you know, to try to emulate what the Warriors are doing, a team that it turns the ball over almost as much as the Sixers do, but makes up for it night after night by shooting lights out, you know. Or you look at a team like the Denver Nuggets who turns the ball over like eighth worst in the league um, but they make up for it with really strong offensive rebounding. You know what I mean? A, a lot of the times the Sixers' deficiencies with the turnovers and with the personal fouls, they're able to make up because they're a great defensive team, you know, top five defensive rating team, and because they also have hot shooting nights too. Um, but, you know, it does make me think about, you know, philosophically what has Brett um, trying to put together here. And to me with the turnovers, the question is always, um, it's not how do you fix that problem? It's more of, you know, how do you, how do you manage it? How do you, how do you make it manageable to a point that you're willing to live with, you know, 14, 15, 16 per game? Because when you look at the numbers, really, there's not a huge difference in how many turnovers they commit in wins, how many turnovers they commit in losses, how many turnovers they commit on the road, uh, how many turnovers they commit at home. So really, it just sort of is what it is, and you're just trying to make it manageable, you know? They're 34 and 28, and they've been doing this all season. Yeah, and I mean, like, the the only thing that I think I want to see them be able to execute better is a is at some point near the end of a game is kind of executing in the half court 
and showing that they have the ability to to close out games, which has obviously been their Achilles heel. Um, I I believe in Ben as the open floor uh, general on the floor, but I I do question his ability at at the end of games. I question his decision making, and I especially question the fact that he simply does not attack and does not shoot in fourth quarters, especially in clutch situations. And um, you know, like, the, and I think that's great. Tell uh, tell Donovan. Yeah, let's yeah let's let's use that argument. I'd I'd love to. Uh, let, should we do a comparison of? Dennis Smith at end of games or of Donovan Mitchell at end of games or Jason Tatum at end of games. Now, the only guy that I might rule out there is Tatum because he's typically the third or fourth option on the second best team in the Eastern Conference. But that notwithstanding, there are other rookies within this class that, you know, actually do try to score at end of games. The and Mavericks the are 13th that, in the Western Conference. That's fine. nothing to play, to play for. Like, you just can't. Yeah. This is, look. What, I, tell me what relevance that has. When, what is it? When, what does it matter that they're thirteenth in the West? Because it's a it's a rookie, uh, a rookie you point are, guard. When you are on a team that is completely out of it, much the way the Sixers were the last few years, and you are a rookie who is a ball handler slash scorer, and it's the end of a game, you have free reign to give it whatever fuck chance you want. Because it doesn't really matter if you win or lose, and it's all about a learning experience. And the Sixers are in this weird hybrid season right now. As, as fun as it is, and the fact they're going to make to the playoffs and potentially win a round, it is, you know, it's a, it's a serious season. It is not a tanking year. But you're in this weird hybrid year in that you have these young guys. You have guys like Ben Simmons who have the ball in their hands and aren't used to that level of pressure, let alone playing that position at all. And also, by the way, you're still at a point in your career where you have played less than one full season of basketball after your freshman year of college and you still haven't developed a reliable shot yet. And you are in a position where you have the pressure in a market to win games and on a team that expects you to win games and go to the playoffs this year. So it's a different, it is, it is no matter how you want to describe it with what sort of intangibles or whatever, it is a different situation that Ben Simmons is in. Never mind the fact that he's in a position that is still relatively new to him. He's not a pure like scorer, like scoring guard type scorer. And it's also his first year playing point guard. So you occasionally will do this where you do these sort of drive by hits on Simmons. And while they're, Fair critiques. No, but while they're fair critiques and criticisms, and don't drive by him while he's eating pizza off his Ferrari. But while they are fair critiques and criticisms, it's like you have this like little bit of malice sometimes. I feel like with Ben Simmons, and it's like it's it it's it's more like it. It should stop at the observation level. Like, yep, Ben Simmons needs to improve his shot. Of course, everyone knows that. Ben Simmons needs to get more serve at the end of the games. Yes, of course, everyone knows that. But it's like you have this little bit of malice there, and, and it just feels What's it the, feels. I don't unfair. know what the malice is. I don't, I don't think know. I feel that's malice. Not a, I feel I malice a, at the palace. I don't think it's a fair I feel assessment. Like, I, I feel ben like Simmons, no, no. Here's, here's the problem I have. When you're watching See, your team you fall apart. when you phrase it as problem, that is where I sense the malice. Rather than here's my, like... You, do you want it to be rainbows mm. and smiles? They blew a 19-point lead that they about- that they ha- like. When you are the point guard of a team, and you have and you have essentially forced your coach's hand, you wanted to be the guy who's in charge. You want to be the guy who has the ball in his hands at any given point in the game. You have a responsibility when the when the wheels are coming off to take over a game, and part of that is being able to get yourself in positions. Uh, that make you more dangerous. That means getting yourself into the post and being able to defer from there. But it also means that at certain points in the game, if you are an elite point guard in this league, which he is on his way to being, on you have way. to attack. 
you have to you're, attack. You, you are and it, right. And it doesn't... You are right. It, like, I'm sorry, but averaging two field goal attempts in seven games since the All-Star game doesn't cut it. Then that's, I mean, uh, that makes it seem like it's just a small sample size. He's averaged, you know, before the All-Star break, he was averaging three field goal attempts in the fourth quarter. Okay. I mean, I, I think we can set the scenarios of when and where those have happened. Yes, right. But the, I guess what I'm saying is when you're saying it doesn't cut it, I feel like the doesn't cut it and like just your general phrasing of this should be reserved for guys who are, who are generally have an expectation to be like... Ben Simmons you make has played it, basketball on, his you, whole life. You make it... Stop. You, he is... Stop. He has what? not been what? playing in the NBA his whole life. He's played one year of college ball. He sat out a year. He is by far exceeded expectations for a player of his level. That doesn't mean you could say that and, and not admit that there are obvious things that he can improve in his game. Of course he can. He, it, otherwise, every player in the history, unless you're Michael Jordan, uh, the year before he decided to play baseball, there's... Every other player can improve something in their game. The point is, like, you couch this stuff in, like, these sort of criticisms slash whatever as if he's living, coming up short of expectations. And I feel like that's unfair for someone. I feel like you can acknowledge those things, but the way you do it, it there's this, you're, like, poking him. And it's How it feels poke? unfair because it, it's it, most guys in that situation – aren't aren't what you say it's not like it's like oh man every other rookie point guard is doing this he should totally be doing this that is not the case he is by far exceeded expectations and i agree that he needs to improve in those situations but i i don't think a criticism is the right way to do it like it would be like my two-year-old he kind of knows how to run right now you know he walks great and he kind of knows how to run but it would be me like when he runs across the floor i'm like yeah yeah ran pretty good does he run like he's going to run when he's eight years old playing t-ball? No, of course not. But I don't like if he trips on something or stumbles or slows down, I'm not like, oh, man, he really needs to improve this. He's not good at this. He's too slow. He trips over He trips over that toy car every time he passes by it. Like, no, he's, he's doing about what he's expected of him. If anything else, he's a little bit faster than I thought he would be at this age. Like, that is – does that make sense? <laughs> Kevin, and help me out here. I, no, I, I get what you're like, saying. I, I mean, it's it's you know the I, what is what it, what are our realistic expectations for Ben Simmons in year one? I mean, do we expect him to be knocking down game winning shots? You know, I'd like for him to be a little bit more assertive uh, going to the rack, but it doesn't mean that that's he necessarily he doesn't that's, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's got to hit the game winning shot or whatever. I think that we see that as probably the next phase of his development or just shooting more shots in general. You know. Um, but if you look at right, and that's the difference that's between the point what you I'm just trying said. To make. But, I'm not but, hold saying on, Russ. He Kevin needs just to... said I'd like to see him be more served at the end of the games. You started your thing with like, well, the problem with this is like you always seem to come at Ben Simmons, and it's it. I don't know. I I I get the sense you are always slightly harder on him than anybody. But listen, else. but listen, Kyle. You because, say you say this season is just. I agree with you when you say this season is just kind of like a. I don't know what word you use, but it just it, it is kind of what it is, right? Like this is kind of like an in-between season where you're coming out of the process era. You're not really there yet, but you're kind of starting to develop this young core and see what you have. So this season is not like people are all like, well, they got to get the four seed. They got to get home home court advantage or, you know, we got to get Fizdale in here. Or we got to do this or Brett Brown should be fired. This, this is this is not like you don't go from the process to like the three seed. 
You know, you have a time in between here where this young core that you just assembled has to grow and has to learn how to play. Markel Fultz hasn't even played this year, barely, you know? So I don't, like, what are our expectations for this team? At the beginning of the year, we were saying if they get into the playoffs, it's a success. You know, if they get the eight seed and they have an experience uh, playing against a Boston or a Toronto or something like that, that's a success. So, I mean, we can't recalibrate in the middle of the year just because a couple of these guys are better than we thought they were going to be. Yeah, I would like to see Ben Simmons be more assertive at the end of games here. But if you go back to the Charlotte game the other night, they ran three brush cuts in a row where Ilyasova got a layup, Ben Simmons got a dunk, and J.J. Reddick got a finger roll. And some of that was just because Dwight Howard was playing dog shit defense. But... Yeah, you see some some flashes at times from there. You just want to see more consistency there. Again, I think you just got to go back to the beginning of the season and say, what did we expect from these guys? Um, and just hold yourself to that instead of kind of readjusting what we're expecting halfway through the season. I don't think you can't. I don't think you can't re- readjust expectations. If and my as much as you know, we sometimes bang on Mike Missinelli here. I think he always he's had a really good view of the Eagles this season. When people would say, "Well, if they just make the conference championship, it's a success." This is you know before the Wentz injury. He's like, "No, now they're good. We should change our expectation. Their expectation should be they're the best team in the NFC. They should go to the Super Bowl." Set aside the Wentz injury, and it's that was a good way of looking at it. So I don't think you can necessarily just throw away what we've seen now for four months and say and not adjust your expectations a little bit. But I feel like. I feel like you, Russ. When you do it, you're you're you're, exp- you know, stop you're getting expecting your feelings hurt. Be like no, stop getting four, your feelings year hurt. Three or four. I'm sick. The kid was a number one overall pick in his, in his class, right? He's been told that he's the next LeBron James. He's right. a fantastic player, and I love watching him play. And I often sing his praises. I'm saying that the issue that I have, you just assigned sure, like, two attributes if, on him that have nothing to do with him himself. By the way, they're outside projections on him. Number one pick. Which he's told, very cognizant told, of. Told tell me, tell life. me that he doesn't know what people say about him. It doesn't okay. matter if it was asserted by someone outside. He's a he is cognizant of the things that people say about him. He knows okay. what the comparisons are. Anything? Okay. I just think okay. the difference he's, between he's old, look if you're gonna if you're gonna make the comparison with the Eagles, I think you just have to go back to not this season, but the season before that when they started out three and zero. You know, and everybody was like, oh well, what can happen now? You know, with without really realizing that Carson Wentz was still a rookie. Doug Peterson was still in his first year. I think the difference, Kyle, with the Eagles this year is because they had that extra year underneath them. You know, I think that made a huge difference. Um, and that's why I kind of viewed it differently because I didn't, you know, we you knew what you had in Wentz and you kind of started to see what you had in Doug Peterson. I think that 2016 Eagles season, I think, is what the Sixers are going through right now, um, if that yeah. makes sense, you know? Totally. Here's, totally. No, here's totally. where, like, the, the recalibrating thing comes in, right? Before the season, if you would have told me that Ben was going to average almost 17 points a game, I would have thought you were out of your mind. I expected him to probably score anywhere like 12 and a half, maybe 13 points a game. The way that you recalibrate and the reason that it's important to do so and the reason that I get upset at end of games when the wheels are coming off and a floor general does what a floor general is supposed to do is Ben has the probably the most amazing ability I've seen of a Philadelphia 76er in my lifetime of getting wherever he wants on the court at any time in a game he wants. 
Is that fair to say? No, yeah. Am I allowed to say that, no, 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 Kyle? No. I mean, is that okay? No. Can I can I say a positive <laughs> thing Alan about it? Other than Allen Iverson? Other than no, Allen Iverson? No, I, I think Ben is able to get wherever he wants in a more dominant fashion than Allen was. Allen was sneaky. He was elusive. Ben can force his way to wherever he wants on the court. He gets anywhere, and he's dangerous as a passer from anywhere on the floor. So my issue is, at the end of a game... I, hold on. I what, agree with what you're saying, that they are totally different in their abilities to get somewhere, and physically he's absolutely, of course, more imposing uh, but I, th- I think you're probably underselling ai a little bit if, if you put a dime on the court and said there we're going to throw five guys at you iverson you got to get to that dime with the ball in your possession he'd st- he would do it like i, I think okay, i think you're fine. underselling his ability to get there i get what you're saying i get what you're saying though so it's, I'm not it's like yin and yang they're both it, they're both incredible you can readjust what, what, what i'm saying is what i'm saying everybody what, else what what did you say yin yang is wrong and I said yin and yang. No, I know. Yin I was making fun and... of everybody else. You said it correctly. Oh, okay. Most right, people good. call it yin yang. But what I'm saying is when he has this ability to get wherever he wants on the floor, that's kind of where I want to see him. And like to use Kevin's wording here, I guess that that's the, the kinder wording to be more assertive. I don't like there. It was like, what, three, four games ago. He had the ball at the end of a game. Right. And people got mad that he didn't go up. It was the game against it was against Miami where people thought that he should have gone up through contact in a game where two officials were left in the game and they weren't getting the foul calls late in games. We and have he, Phil on and video he deferred, testing and he, to that. You know, and he fact. deferred to Dario, who deferred to JJ, and they missed the three, and they lost the game, and it was fine. That's not a situation where I think that Ben is like is supposed to go up for the game-winning shot. I don't want this to come off as I'm saying that I want to see Ben shoot 20-footers with like six minutes left in the game to try to like put it out of reach. That's not what I'm saying. I just think that he he has demonstrated that he can get to the line at at any given you know point in the he game. He can't shoot free throws. It doesn't matter if he can't get, if he can't shoot free throws. He's sure not like does, sure it does. It's a big part of it. It's not like he's Andre Drummond, right? Like he's not shooting thirty percent from the line. He's not DeAndre Jordan. If he hits it like fifty five or sixty percent clip and he's getting to the line consistently at, at you know in like the middle of the third quarter to slow down the momentum wretched. of the other team, it is wretched. Well, when it's slowing down the momentum of the other team, which they were unable to do last night, like sometimes just slowing it down and getting yourself to the line is enough to kind of kill that that long streak that we've seen. Washington did it to them, and it happened again last night. And even even Fair Miami enough. did it to them. Like you have to. That's the thing. Like, and I guess if I were going to criticize Brett, or I was, or if I were going to criticize or question any coach, it's a timeout is effective, right? A timeout is effective. Uh, but it does give the other team time to regroup. When you are, get yourself into a, a game situation where you have the ability to get yourself a disruptive moment, if that's a hard foul that, that leads to a replay, or it's something that gets the crowd out of the game, at least for that small moment, that's bigger than a timeout. I, like, I think that psychologically it's different. And that's the thing that like this team has to be able to do. And it's a thing, like like I was saying before, when Ursan and JJ are the guys that are now turning over the ball, and they aren't the ones that are making those heady plays to break up momentum. That's where I get a little bit concerned. All right, let's get it back to the Eagles here, shall we? What? <laughs> get it back? Move it on? Well, well hold on. Yeah, I There's... can't take any more of the, the Ben Simmons stuff. <laughs> can, we just, can we just touch really quick on the place they play? Oh, you want to do that first? Yeah, let, yes. well, yeah. Let's, let's, let's stick to, to that. So the word came out that uh, – that, the Wells Fargo Center is going to be undergoing a $250 million renovation, which Joel Embiid then quoted on Twitter and and responded, just build a new one. Thoughts? Thoughts on well, Wells Fargo Center? 
Well, thoughts on Joel Embiid's comment. Things you can do when uh, your 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 boss does not own the building. You can get away with saying ever anything you want, especially because the Sixers and Comcast Spectacore has been sort of quasi famously at odds, uh, calling it the center. Um, my thoughts on the renovation, I think it makes sense. I mean, building a new building, it's 22 years old now, which seems insane to say. It, honest to God, it seems insane. I remember walking into the opening event, which was trivia question. It was the ice hockey um, world. It was the World Cup of ice hockey or something, wasn't yes. it? Yes. Yes. I love how you call it ice hockey. Yeah, sorry. I, <laughs> I did a stringer gig once. I'm a fan. I did a stringer fan gig of the roller I interviewed hockey. all those guys who who played in that game. I, I That's the only reason I remember uh, that, because I was interviewing, like, Mike Richter and, like, uh, oh, Joel Otto yeah. or something like that. Joel Otto, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, how's, how's, wow. that for, how's that for it? You didn't think you'd hear his name on the... Uh, on the podcast tonight, I did huh? I did not I will tell people Craig McTavish's son ordered a shirt from us uh, which is very cool out in uh, Vancouver um, yeah so it was indeed it was indeed the World Cup of Hockey it was USA Canada that first game yeah and do you remember uh, what the name of the what it was originally called when it opened up of, of course it was the core state center right and then after, the world Cup. after that before it became the Wachovia Center there was another change in there too first union yeah Union. Yeah. Yeah. Russ, yeah, you didn't think I would know that, did you, Kyle? Huh? Russ, I First didn't. Union Center. Yeah. I thought I was going to explain to you who Mike Richter was, or what the World Cup of Hockey was. <laughs> I, you, you're, Ice hockey. Your insults, the the um, condescension with which you have addressed me in this podcast <laughs> is borderline reprehensible. I will tell and, you, I will tell you that with one of, if not the loudest, and it could be because I was an impressionable thirteen year old at the time, but going to Malvern Prep. Go into Malvern Where LeBron Prep. takes his kids. Yeah, that's right. right. Go ahead. Uh, mm. But hearing, <laughs> hearing the building, it, the third event there was there were three events. There was USA Canada game one. The th- second game was uh, Canada Sweden, uh, and uh, you could buy like a three pack of tickets. The third game was USA Canada again, and it was or no, uh, no, the first game was USA Czech Republic or Slovakia. The Canada game, I think, was the third game. It was the start of the final series. It was the best of three. First game of the finals was in Philly, second two or Montreal. U.S. lost first game, won the second two. But they lost that first game in overtime. John, uh, John LeClaire scored with seven seconds to go in the game, and that may be the loudest I've ever heard the, the now Wells Fargo Center get, just in case anybody cares about that fact. Go back. You can watch those videos on YouTube. That building was electric that night. Um, hmm. Long story short is I can't believe it's been that long. It seems crazy. I think they made the right call. There's no need to build a new building. I know, Kevin, you kind of hate it, and everyone ha- hates yeah. it in their own way. I hate the fact that it is a phone book, that you can't take a piss, you can't take a shit, you can't walk down the steps, you can't buy anything, you can't open anything, you can't look up, you can't look down, you can't look anywhere without seeing at least three ads in your field of vision. Seriously, try this. The next time you're in the Wells Fargo Center, from the minute you walk in that building, yeah. look in any direction and tell me you, you can't see three ads without averting your eyes. It's crazy. It just feels, said, it feels like the building's older than it really is, doesn't it? But you th- I, and I thought about this the other night, or I thought about this actually the the week of the Eagles parade because we were trying to speculate on the date and really trying to hammer down when it was going to be. And I remember looking and see, well, are, are there any open nights where there's no games? That takes, you know, that takes some traffic out of the equation. And if they needed to use the Wells Fargo Center for an event and all that, 
And I remember looking, they had eight, seven consecutive days of events, eight events in seven days, including Wing Bowl, including a concert, Flyers, Sixers, all that, Villanova. Um, but that is pretty much the norm down there. Like, look at, go to the Wells Fargo Center website and look at its schedule of events, and we sort of take for granted. I know the Spectrum used to hold more annual events than, like, any arena in the country, and I can't imagine that anything surpasses, if it does surpass the Wells Fargo Center, it's barely. You have two professional teams that play, I guess the Staples Center, maybe, um, but you have two professional teams that play there. You have a college basketball team this year that played their whole schedule. You have countless concerts, ice shows, circus, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, they, they're the ability, the ability for that building to churn twenty thousand people in and out, sometimes multiple times per day, is remarkable. So it, there's a lot of wear and tear on it. Um, but that thing's it's hosted two political conventions. I mean, like that building has done a lot, and it is. It handles it very well. Those events typically go off flawlessly. You know, we're all going to remember that Sixers game with the water on the court. So I get that it looks old. I get all that. Yeah. But, like, generally speaking, it's big enough. It's it's strong enough. And gosh darn it, people go to it. Well, and the Wings are going to be playing there, too, when they come back. So that's going to be three three teams that are sharing it. Um, Thanks, yeah. sweet baby Jesus, for that. Yeah, and you know what? It's like uh, I think what you're saying, Kyle, because it's got so much use. Maybe that's why it looks a little more ragged and a little more battered than it really is. You know, like when you go down into the under, the underbelly of it. Um, if like for instance, when I go you wanted to, the, to say undercarriage, when you go into the undercarriage, I think he was. I think he was going to say the underbelly, and you just had to take it to that place you like to take it to. When you go in, um, I, I have to go in like on the south side. Uh, like in the middle kind of center part is where the media and like staff entrance is. And when you go down there, it's, uh, there's like door ever locked by the way. Uh, not, no, I don't think so. You could probably walk right in there, but you won't get through the metal detectors. I don't think so. It's true. Uh, Every time everyone in has been open. So pro tip, just walk right in, walk right in there. But it's like, it's just, uh, it's really plain. Um, it's beat up. Like the media room is just kind of old and the, the bathrooms are like old and the, the paint color just looks kind of like, it smells uh, like Dick Girardi. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't, it's, it's just kind of like, it's very plain and old and just like, there's nothing, nothing about, nothing about the building ever really stood out to me. You know, I mean, it was just like, even when it was new, it was just another arena. Like when you think of the Wells Fargo center, I mean, does anything like, like jump out at you? I mean, it's like, it has a hockey team. It has a basketball team, but there's nothing unique about it. It's just another real American arena, I guess. And I mean, say what you want about the link, but you know, it's got kind of the interesting cutouts on the side and you, you know, it looks a little different than your typical just just bowl of a of a dome. You know, so I don't know. It just feels kind of plain. It feels kind of like, uh, you know, people people have uh, like you said, it 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 feels like you've had forty years of use when it's really only been twenty two. You know, I hate that place. I hate Wells Fargo Center so much. I actually would. I think I'd be more ecstatic if uh, I think Josh Harris needs to stop lending money to Jared Kushner and and should take some of those funds. And he should funnel them into creating his own arena. Can I tell you something real I, quick about that? There was a guy, yeah. I don't know who it is, but somebody on the Sixers beat. He's not at practices or um, like the shoot-arounds or anything. Not that often, I don't think. I don't. I, I can't remember what his name is. I don't know who he is. But he asked Brett about that before the Charlotte game. He said, do you – and it was like worded really strangely too. It was um, – it was, do you have like any reservations about being associated with an owner who is involved with the White House or like going to the White It was something about going to the White House. He's like, would you go to the White House 
uh, knowing that your owner has something to do with Donald Trump or whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Yeah, and Brown just was sure, like, he's like, I ha-, he's like, I have not given that one thought. <laughs> and then insane. he repeated it. He's like, I've, so I've not given that one single thought. And I was like, so <laughs> like uncomfortable just by proximity that I kind of like looked down at my phone and like <clears throat> tried to, <laughs> you know, try to like sh- shrivel up and hide in the corner, you know? So can't imagine what uh, everybody else was, was thinking, you know? But really though, like I, I do think it would be awesome to see the Sixers like as, as part of this ongoing feud with Comcast that like they decided to create their own arena. The problem really would be driving the Camden every day. Yeah, see, that's the, uh, well, the that Sixers is, are already that is building, certainly that's certainly the draw. They're already building the thing for the eighty seveners, you know, outside of Wilmington too. So, um, I mean, I don't doubt they have the money to do all that stuff. But and as much as that would be a big fu to everybody else, I don't know. I guess it's just not not feasible right now. I don't know. Both both parties that are involved in that in that arena have enough money to do their own thing. And as much as I hate the Wells Fargo Center, it just makes too much sense for for them to keep the arrangement how it is, right? Isn't it well, the uh the the issue with Wells Fargo, the issue with like the the arenas that are built for hockey and for basketball? The ones that are basketball specific are typically built in a way where the lower bowl is 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 meant to have more fixed seats in place. Mm-hmm. Um which they can't do by virtue of of hockey having to have you know the the setup that it does, isn't that the issue? Like Brooklyn, yes. I'm gonna say like was it Barclays Barclays Center right was was meant to be a basketball specific arena, yeah. and like and it's structured totally different. Where like anybody that you that you talk to who's gone to a game there says that the lower bowl just feels totally different. Well, and it's like also the entire, yeah, I mean the whole entire place the whole feels bottom. Level That's why I'm saying like, like freezing friggin' cold too. You know, I mean yeah. it's like I, I'm wearing a jacket in there. And that's why, like, I, I know that I know that they're not going to do it, and I'm not actually actively rooting for it. But like, when you when when you're looking at a team that's about to become, you know, like an Eastern Conference or like NBA Finals contender for the next, I don't know, eight nine years potentially, if all goes well, you know, when you look at it, it, it really is the perfect time to to build an arena and to continue to like maximize what the return on your investment is going to be. Like, if you're going to be a shrewd venture capitalist, like. It does it suck to have to sink capital into an arena? Absolutely, but like that's another thing that you get to sell as an asset. Like that's part of, you know, the way that Harris, you know, structured the uh, the purchase of the Devils was also buying in on the debt on a Prudential Center. Like mm-hmm. there is somebody who would who would probably throw out even more money, knowing that they don't have to work as a tenant within the building, that they can own the building themselves. And like again, it's not going to happen. But I think like from a financial standpoint, I think it could make sense. In theory, it might might be really off the wall, but it's the perfect time to build. Well, sure, but together I mean, we build. Yeah, That's I right. mean, there's a lot of consideration. This is the moment. I mean, the six. Look, Joshua Harris is so good; he got the entire state of New Jersey to pay for his practice facility. I believe. Um, you, I mean, you could probably get if he's. You know, people of that level have the ability to get the state and taxpayers to pay for a large chunk of it. Whether they will stomach that and taxpayers will stomach that, especially in New Jersey, where it seems like you'd have a better, easier time is, is up for debate. Uh, how much they would want to pay is up for debate. You know, the, the difference is so much of the money right now, sports are in a weird, the Wells Fargo center was built 
you know, there was the great separation of football and baseball in the late 90s and early 2000s. And the, the, the v- sightline angle you just described is, is what we all experienced at, at Veterans Stadium. Russ, that was the stadium before Citizens Stop. <laughs> I so, swear, I'm going to read, I'm gonna read this <clears throat> iTunes review that I just caught, the most recent one, and uh, right. uh, so it's all about I, you, buddy. Uh-oh. So, um, you know, but you look at the way the, the sight lines changed at Citizens Bank Park and, and the link, and, you know, they're sports-specific. And there was the great unbundling of those homogeneic 70s and 80s baseball turf stadiums, Riverfront, Three Rivers, Veteran Stadium, uh, the Astrodome, that all basically had the exact same layout with or without a roof. Uh the arenas kind of it feels like went slightly in the other direction where in the late 90s as all of this money was coming into sports and cable and um it felt like everything in the 90s was sort of pumped up on hot air um you know we built these huge mega corporate arenas um that are able to house both and featured luxury boxes you know remember if you remember when these buildings were built you know, the Spectrum had like a handful of quote-unquote boxes, but, you know, box would be the term to use there. You know, the the selling point of the Wells Fargo Center was, well, it's got, you know, 600 suites and 250 suites, and we could sell these to businesses and all that and high-end luxury experiences. And, and, you know, yes, that stuff came to fruition in certain ways. Like, if you are lucky enough to get in those spots, they are decent. They're, I wouldn't call them the height of luxury. You know, a club box is basically just a seat in the lower level with a bar. Um, you know, but they are, they are better premium experiences for sure. Um, but I think, like, sport, everything in culture has dialed back more to the authentic. And now those 90s arenas just feel sort of really drab and lifeless, you know, even Mm -hmm. more so than the the day they were built. And on top of all that, these LED boards have made the advertising crush unbearable. Like the fact that that we just take for granted that the entire hue of the building of the Wells Fargo Center changes while play is going on, and we just accept that, that it goes from bright yellow to black to red within the span of, like, two possessions, while you have millionaire athletes with millions on the line maybe shooting a three-pointer, and while they're going up to shoot, the, the lights around the building change. Like, it is so insane. But... You know, they've crammed LED and and everything is about advertising in those places. So I I don't know what sort of rant I'm getting on here. But (laughs) to your point, yeah, it it would be better if we had better sight lines and stuff. But I just think there's a lot of moving parts there. And it's a a lot just to build a basketball arena. And part of this is not just your team. But, you know, the Sixers play 40-some home games there a year, plus maybe playoffs. What do you do those other 300 nights? And the Wells Fargo Center has sort of cornered the market on that stuff. I mean, it's only really yeah. the the outdoor, whatever they're calling the Tweeter Center nowadays, that can pull in concerts. Yeah, the Tweeter you know. Center. Yeah, that thing changes names right. like every day. I, I, I still call it the Tweeters. It's It used to be the Susquehanna Bank, and then oh, it was the BB&T. Bank yeah, BB&T. Yeah, BB&T. I don't think it's that anymore. Yeah. By the way, can I just Wait. kind of, like, I wanted to get back to this real quick just because it's, a, it's a, like a – like crazy when you think about it, but you mentioned the hockey, the USA Canada, um, you know, event in 1996 to open up the arena. Uh, when I did that stringer gig, um, a couple of years ago, they inducted that entire team into the U S ice hockey hall of fame. 
and uh, the roster was just like incredible. I, I know Flyers fans will appreciate this. It had just, I'll just name like some of the guys on it: um, Brian Leach, Darian Hatcher, uh, Chris Chelios. Those are just defensemen. Mike Madano, John Leclaire, Tony Amani, uh, Bill Guerin, Brett Hull, Pat Lafontaine, Keith Kachuk, Adam Deadmarsh, uh, Steve Connell, Walchuk. Joel Otto, <laughs> Mike Richter. I mean, that's that's like Joel only like Otto. half of the team. Um, to think that that was like the first; those were the first guys who got to play uh, in the arena. And I guess then, if Otto and Leclaire were the only, I think they were the only two flyers. Well, Lindros is playing for Canada. Lindros was on Canada, so I guess they, Brenda Moore was on Canada. Yeah, so those four guys got to play in the arena before with their national teams before any they played any Flyers games, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I believe I mean, it's, it's you may have, like, to... Yane Ninema. Uh, there, there was a couple of guys on the foreign teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just wanted to read that. I thought um, the listeners would get a kick out of hearing who was on that on that U.S. roster from back in the day. Not exactly what we put out at the Olympics this year since, uh, you know, since the NHL <laughs> teams weren't allowed to do their thing. Here's a deep-cut trivia question. Behind what was the first ad – at the Wells Fargo Center behind both of the nets. Oh, a God. well-known brand slash product. Because I remember this, like, really standing out during that. Like, wow, there's the, there's a big ad for that on the Dasher. Is it ice hockey? Somebody better be Is ready. it ice hockey specific? No. The, the, no, the sponsor oh. is not, no. So it's not Tim Hortons, then? <laughs> no. It Was is... it a beer? Nope. No, I mean, I'm sure Bud was somewhere on there, but uh, no. I don't, big, I don't know. Big, is, long this... dasher ad. Yes, this is dumb. Uh, black uh, PlayStation. Really? 90, big, 96, yeah. 97, yeah. Big, wide PlayStation ad behind both nets of the World Cup. That's good knowledge out of you, man, as Tony Bruno would say. It is. It is. 610-632-0975. Now you back, can't tell which ones are on Mike the board. Mike which and which ones are just uh, superimposed on the fucking glass. Yeah, they do those things yeah. like, um, you know, when you're at, uh, like, when you're at Talon, like, they have the uh, the whole um, LED. Talon, hold on, pause. The- Talon, Kyle, is Talon Energy Stadium, formerly known as PPL Park, where the Philadelphia oh, he Union He knows play. what it is. When you put the things, I've been there. when you put the low, like, um, you know, the LEDs are, like, on the ground, and they go around the entire rim there. So every time you are you just see it in the background of, of play the whole time, you know, and the, the seats, like the floor, like the equivalent of the floor seats or whatever, sit right behind that. You know, it's just like you're blasted with it 24-7. You know, it's the same, like, everywhere. But at the Wells Fargo Center, it just seems obnoxious because it just feels like you're, I don't know, like, it, like claustrophobic or something. Yes, and the and I've I've thought about this at Phillies game. Citizens Bank Park has definitely you know there's definitely a little bit of Major League Two there with the proctology ads. Um, <laughs> you know they've definitely added advertising. If you go back and look at shots from 2004 or even 2008, they've pumped it up for sure. But it's still reasonably done. Uh, the link is different um, because you know football is more about the game. There's less spots for it. But the Wells, Far- I mean, the Wells Fargo Center. I'm not haven't been to that many arenas, you know, especially recently. But they just, I mean, it is it is gratuitous. What's your power ranking? You've got three. You've got to let's throw talent in there too, just for the heck of it, because of the view. You've got uh, Lincoln Financial Field, Citizens Bank Park, Wells Fargo Center, Talent Energy, uh, Energy Stadium. What's um, your what's start start fourth? What's the worst? The link. The link. 
Okay. Kevin? Yeah. Uh, you're, you're fourth. Uh, well, I mean, if you're going to include talent, though, you got to include stuff from around the city, don't you? I mean, I think that I think Wells Fargo no. Center is really boring. I think that's my least favorite place in in, in town by far. Um, I mean, Citizens Bank Park is kind of plain. I think Ugh. I love Citizens. I love Citizens I don't, Bank. Like, what, what, yeah. But what You're is not, special? What, what is not, different about Citizens Bank Park? What's What's unique? Like when you look at all the baseball stadiums in America, like what what jumps out at you about Citizens Bank Park? I think part of it is just because of, and and this is kind of getting back to what I was saying before. It was built, you know, in in its own way. It was kind of built as the uh, the paradigm shift of of you know Phillies baseball in the city. Like whenever I think about the vet, I I don't think of a ton of winning because in my lifetime, winning at the vet didn't happen. Yeah, but none so. of that shit matters. Like that's all like window dressing. Like in a vacuum, if I put you in the Angels ballpark and then I put you in the Pirates ballpark and then I put you in the uh, you know the Great American ballpark and I put you at Citizens Bank Park. I mean, if you're just looking at those aesthetically and like the experience at the stadium, I mean, would you would you rank Citizens Bank Park, you know, in the top half of MLB stadiums? Yeah, yeah, easily. I still would. Yeah, I've been to. I think some of it's the sight lines. I think I think it's the brick layout. I think that they do a decent job of integrating the the past and the present. Like I, I think it's an enjoyable park to go to. I think it's a good setup if you're a college kid who's looking to go for dollar dog days and like uh, when the team is is poor to go pick up a five dollar ticket to the you know four hundred level or whatever. I think it's good if you have a family. Yeah. Uh, I think like they appeal to a mass audience. I think yeah, yeah. pretty much regardless of, of your group or your situation in life, you can have an enjoyable experience as Citizens I just Bank. Like, I don't think that happens at the link. for sh- Like, it doesn't happen at the link for sure. Yeah, I mean, to answer, the question, to answer the question, I would say talent number one, just because there's not a bad seat in the house and you have the bridge in the background. But again, the all the, other, the three other stadiums are all like in, in on concrete in South Philly. So it's, it's not like, uh, you know, I don't see like too much differentiation between Citizens Bank Park and the link. I mean... You know, if you're asking uh, me, see, if you're I'll... asking me what the best experience in Philadelphia is, I'd tell you the Palestra, by far. You know, but then you're looking at, you're just saying that's because of the history and because of the old-fashioned nature of it and stuff like that. I just find everything in South Philly to be kind of plain. You know. Well, I I would say with the the Palestra, not even just because of the history and all that stuff. Um, you know, because that's Villanova can fan. We don't give a shit about right, that. Right, right, right. I'm right, kidding. Right. I'm yeah, kidding. sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But having having gone to Villanova Big Five games there as a student and sat within a row of the floor, there is nothing quite like um, an intense game at the Palestra. But, you know, we'll draw the line at the pro stuff. I guess I'd go, if I had a rank, I'd go Wells Fargo Center third, just because it's so generic. I think they... I, I think the building itself, it's fairly impressive for the amount of events it hosts and you know, does it well. And uh, you know, all that stuff. Like I, the food's good. Like they actually have some pretty good food there. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that's an issue. The link food is downright atrocious. Um, two, I would go with PPL. I've contrary to what you guys may think. I, I believe I've been to four soccer matches there. Um, wow. yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, it's a really, it's a really nice place. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, the concourse leaves a lot to be desired. It's boring. Um, it's very boring and bare, and you know the link is like this too. Like the you know the concourse, the luxury areas of the link are nice, but the concourse is is borderline offensive. It's very utilitarian, and I would say PPL is like that yeah. at least from what I remember. Yeah. I haven't been there a ton, but the sight lines, viewing stuff, Citizens Bank Park for me is an easy one. I think um, 
you know, they were caught up. You know, there's these runs in these trends of stadiums. We talked about the hockey arena one. The baseball one, um, you know, was all about throwback. And the Phillies were actually kind of at the back end of that. We've seen recently, like, the Marlins Stadium. Um, someone give me another one, another one of the real new ones. Uh, Fenway. Uh, <laughs> Wrigley. <laughs> yeah, no. The, um, oh, City Field. I actually like City That's Field. That's a good one, it's yeah. Very, if, yeah. It feels like New York. Like I get why people don't like it because it's kind of a it's a massive stadium. But City Field, it, it's a little bit more modern, and it feels like it feels like a stadium in New York should feel. So I've been to of the current stadiums, pretty much all of them in the Northeast: Boston, uh, you know, both new and old Yankee, City Field, Pittsburgh, uh, Nat Stadium. Um, give me another down at the uh, Orioles. Like Sun, Orioles Sun, Sun Trust yeah, is Orioles. the. Uh, SunTrust in Atlanta is the newest one, and, and it's Marlins and then Target Field. City yeah, and it's Field. not even Target in Atlanta. Field. They're building it, build it out in the suburbs. Yeah. When I lived in Atlanta, we went to Turner Field, and there was, like, nobody there. And it was just – I'm not surprised they moved out into the into the suburbs because that's what Atlanta is really, you know. And ha- – ha- yeah. And having been to – like, having just seen Atlanta on TV and getting a sense for what it is. But Nationals Park, like, looks looks nice, looks similar to Citizens Bank Park. Not as nice, not as like doesn't have the same vibe and and you know, um I think Oriole Park is sort of the canonical version of these stadiums. They kind of started this trend, so that holds a a warm spot. But all the points you just made, Russ, Citizens Bank Park is awesome. If you want really good, really expensive seats, you can sit really close to the field. The foul territory is very limited. All, almost all of the sight lines are really, really good, except for some of those like higher up ones in right field that get a little funky. Um, if you just want to go and hang out and drink and eat, you could do that too with no pressure, and it's not like a gimmick. I feel like these Wells Fargo Center sort of viewing areas are going to kind of become gimmick areas where they want people to congregate, but in reality, they block it off to private parties or they charge $40 a beer to stand there and all this stuff. Like Citizens Bank Park, you can go get a beer, stand in the outfield, or stand at a railing anywhere around the stadium and stand and have a, have a you know, whatever. And the food is good. It's very family-friendly. There are legitimately separated out kids' areas. It feels small. Um, You know, I I don't know. I I just think it's a good overall experience. Does it feel like some of the older, you know, new-slash-old-style stadiums? Uh, Yes, it does. But in reality, uh, it's better than than Nationals Park. Um, Pittsburgh is really nice. I will say that. Pittsburgh's Pittsburgh, got great sight lines. Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, yeah. The sight lines are nice. Walking over Clemente Bridge and feeling like you're walking into the stadium as you cross the bridge, that is cool. That is the only nice part of the entire city of Pittsburgh. Um, but the new Yankee Stadium, like, it's it, – there was a – you know – there weren't creature comforts at the old one, but there was a vibe when you walked in that old one. The new one feels like a replica of the old one, and it doesn't have that family-friendly feel of Citizens Bank. Oh, yeah. City Field has a cool, unique feel, but I think I think they really stuck the landing on Citizens Bank Park. I will say, I noticed this last year, you want to talk about getting old? Look up above you walking around Citizens Bank Park. It, they need some, like, contractor work, like just a fresh coat of paint sort of stuff. Um I feel like that that place has gotten dinged up pretty good as well. That also had a ton of traffic too. You know, like that, that I guess that's like one of the other things that we always talk about but like that place was going to total capacity for a, you know, for a 
really long stretch there. But yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. I hate to agree with you, but I think our rankings are the same. Link, we agree. Link is the worst. Wells Fargo third. I'd go Talon second. Yeah. That's Although Talon has Talon as as a whole have the best seats. Uh, but that's also by virtue of it only, you know, seating. Yeah, like it's 16, small. 000. It only holds eighteen. And it's yeah. and it's meant so to and it's meant to be. You can't. Like that, the only but, thing that could block you literally is if you're sitting behind the net. You know, otherwise you can you can see yep. everything there. So it's kind of weird to com- to compare it to the other stadiums. But you know, but it's like to if if you were going to rule them out, I think Citizens Bank Park is just in its own. It, it's in its own category. Like the other two, I I legitimately hate the other two places, but Citizens Bank, I actually. To enjoy the link, um, the link is the sight lines at the link are good. I will give it that for football. I mean, as good as you yeah, can get for when football, you're sitting, but it stinks. It stinks when you're in the upper stadium. level, it sucks. Like my uncle has season tickets, right? And they've taken me a, a, a few times, and I'm always grateful when when they take me because like it's still something to go tailgate and to like experience game day. But when you're as high up as as we've been, you you really do kind of face like especially when it's bad weather. You do face that kind, that kind of question, that internal debate uh, that you had going into it. Like, I could be sitting on my couch right now with a much better seat, with as much food or beverage as I want, and a and a bathroom that some like dude isn't trying to like push me off the urinal from. Like, why did I come to this again? Well, and I don't I don't think you get that. Like, even if you're sitting in in the 300 or even the 400 level at Citizens Bank Park, like I, n- I never get that feeling. Yeah, like, but that's it, not it a feels, function of the feels, stadium. That is a no, function no, no, of on, football, I don't football mean stadiums, and the weather. I mean, yeah. any seventy thousand seat stadium, you, there's going to be some really high seats. But I, I well, think, MetLife. Have you guys been to MetLife before? That place looks in New awful. York. No, no. That place, that place to be there, is also atrocious. I feel like, and maybe it's just a football stadium thing. I've been to Lucas Oil, um, Lucas Oil Stadium, which is incredible, but that's also you know indoors. But the the way that they have that building set up and the way that the seats are like that place feels like an awesome atmosphere, and it feels like just a like you're walking into a really uh, I don't know like a, a stadium that was built to be geared to the fan experience. When you walk into MetLife and I think even to to Lincoln Financial Field, it feels like the building doesn't have a soul. And maybe that's what Citizens Bank Park, in its in its own way, maybe it's because of the way that they incorporate kids and and old and young alike. It feels like Citizens Bank actually does have a soul, and these football stadiums just kind of feel like concrete and steel prisons to me. Yeah. But that's just me. I, I I yeah, I would say inside the bowl of the link, in my opinion, it's fine. There's definitely that Eagles fan soul. It's not the vet, but it's. I think the sight lines are good. I sat actually all the way up in like those high seats of, behind one of the end zones for Union and Real Madrid uh, on a smoldering hot summer night a couple of years ago. Yeah. So it was a different sort of weather extreme. But I, I remember loving that sight line, particularly for soccer. I thought it was awesome. Um, you know, in the winter with the wind blowing in your face, probably not so much. But I, I think where the link really falls down is like the creature comforts and the amenities for the average Joe. And I get that's not what... Um, I get, you know, that's what football stadiums, they're not meant to be like baseball stadiums to, you know, they're events. You go there to watch the game, but it is, it's rough. Like it's, it's really utilitarian inside. It's the food is, is downright awful. The lines are miserable. Like it's just miserable. Like everything other than watching the game or tailgating, everything in between is miserable. Lincoln financial field. Speaking of Lincoln financial field, uh, Carlinos, the Eagles, so the Eagles, the Eagles were featured on a, a show that Kyle still can't get right. 
Uh, they were featured on Wheel of Fortune this evening uh, as of recording, which Kyle keeps calling Jeopardy. Speaking of the Eagles, um, Nick Foles. Nick Foles' uh, report came out. Chris Mortensen was, I think, the first to report that the Eagles have fielded but not actively pursued potential trades for Nick Foles. Um, and apparently the Eagles are looking for better compensation than the first and fourth round pick that they got from the Vikings for Sam Bradford, Mr. Sleeves himself. Um, beyond the, the basic question of would you at any point make a trade for uh, like to get rid of Nick Foles, um, what would it take? Let's assume that everybody has a price. What would it take for you to rationalize or to be able to, to sleep at night uh, trading away the Super Bowl MVP? Kevin? Uh, God, I don't know. I mean, first and a third. Would you do a first and a third? Because they only have, mm. you know, they have number yes, 30, 32 this, uh, coming up in April, and then they don't have anything until the fourth round. They have two fourth-round picks. So, yeah, but then the flip side to that is you say they only have six draft, draft picks, but they really don't have that many holes to, holes to fill because <laughs> you just won the Super Bowl. So... It uh, depends what happens with Nigel Bradham and Patrick Robinson and Bo Allen um, in free agency and Trey Burton in free agency. So, like, I, I just see the whole thing kind of as a, as a win-win, you know? Like, if you give me a first and a third, yeah, I'd take it. Cause here's the thing. I mean, if you get that offer, you take it, obviously, and you rebuild with it, and then you have Wentz, and I guess the franchise believes in, in Sudfeld. Um, they seem to be high on him, you know, based on what – Howie Roseman said at the NFL Combine, you know. Um, so, I mean, you can do much worse than that and then pocket a first and a third for a guy who's going to be a free agent at the end of the year anyway. You know, if you want to move foals, you got to do it now um, or else nothing happens, you know. Um, you know, on the other side of that is that if there's any trade uh, for him, he's probably going to have to okay it or be involved with it in some way, shape, or form because nobody's sending that to you for foals unless he signs a long-term deal, you know. Um, you know, beyond what he has this year. So, I, I mean, it's impossible for them to screw it up, but I'm kind of with Kyle on this one, I think, if I judged his uh, Twitter uh, correctly today. Um, you you just won the Super Bowl because you had a backup quarterback, the quality of Nick Foles. You know, that is why you... Is that your Kyle voice? No, that's my Herm Edwards voice. You play oh, okay. to win the game. Um, so why is that? I don't, you know, some people are so like hell bent on like, well, you got to do it now. You got to take this deal. You got to get a first and a fourth or a third or whatever the hell. I mean, like you literally just won the first Super Bowl in franchise history because you put time and effort and money into the backup quarterback position. So I don't know why people are so like, you know, some people just want to get him out of here and get what they can for him. And I get it. I understand the business side of it. I don't want this to turn into the Phillies in 2010, 11 and 12. Um, you know, I'd rather them be the St. Louis Cardinals and move on from, you know, guys and kind of restock and rebuild instead of hand out long-term deals to Ryan Howard. But that, that's not the case here. I mean, they're not going to screw it up. You either take what you can get or you go into uh, next year feeling really good about your quarterback situation. So, but if somebody came to me for a first and a third, I think I just have to do it, you know? So someone expl- is so his, his cap hits what, about $7 million? I, I believe so. I believe so, yeah. Okay, if he were if he were to have been here last year and been useless and been cut, I'm assuming the cap hit is roughly the same in dead cap money. I know I'm I think it's five. I think it's five. I think they yeah. had five. Okay, so when the Eagles signed him, so yeah, I think you pretty much nailed my thinking on this. I 
the counter argument is that, well, they got here by being aggressive. They got here originally by trading a backup quarterback and, and moving up and all that. And I get that. I'm not saying they should totally rest on their laurels and just try and repeat what they did. And I'm all for having to make tough decisions and move the team forward because that's what every great franchise does. They don't try and hold on to the past. And I don't think you can totally get sentimental. And I, I'm, I'm all for that stuff. But what they identified, but I want to go away from a strategy that, that served you very well, which is putting a lot of stock in that backup quarterback position. When they signed Nick Foles before the beginning of last year and paid him a lot of money, paid him more than most backups, $7 million cap at this year, $5 million in dead cap money if they didn't want him and sign him, they were basically acknowledging that, yes, we want this guy here for two years. This wasn't like a one of those, unless I'm completely missing something here, this wasn't one of those two-year deals where it's really a one-year deal and we could just part ways, right? Like yeah. this is a legitimate two year well, deal. It's, a, it's yeah, it's a it, it's a two year deal yes. that was a five year deal, but yeah, yeah, it's two. Right, but it, it's all for all intents and purposes, it's a two year deal. It's not like a you know something that feels like a one year deal, right? Yeah. So before last season, they said to themselves, okay, we are okay paying Nick Foles this amount of money for two years. We think investing heavily in a backup position, should something happen, is an important. St- philosophy that we want to take on, especially with the young quarterback in this case, this season, especially with the quarterback coming off a serious injury, that strategy proved to be absolutely fucking perfect. Just like everything else, Howie Roseman did off last off season. Now I get that Nick Foles value may have just surpassed like his, his cog in that strategy. You know, I mean the Super Bowl thing while incredible and, proven to be right is a highly unlikely thing to happen for a backup he he went and just had you know arguably the best run a backup quarterback has ever had in the history of the NFL if you count those last two games um or consider those last two games but I think you know if you say well we 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 double down on the strategy it worked we still have the guy. There should be no reason why you feel the need to move on from him just because his value is increased. Now, to Kevin, to your point, if his value returns you, even a first-round pick, okay, then yeah, like let's talk about this. And I know this is a media-generated thing, and I get the fact that maybe, maybe, we don't know this really. I get the sense Nick Foles probably content to stay, um, but maybe he wants to go be a starter somewhere. And I do think that you know, you can't run a sports team this way, but for the backup quarterback who's been a, a model citizen and brought you your first Super Bowl ever, I think there is a little bit of, of gentlemanliness in there that if he really wants to get a starting job, maybe you try and accommodate that. I'm actually all for that in this case. Um, I said that the before. The Dwayne Wade treatment. Yeah, I mean, I said that before he won and got, you know, the guy just went out and outslugged Tom Brady as a backup. He des- he probably does deserve to be a starter if he really wants that and you can make it happen. I, I don't think, like you said earlier, Kevin, or at least on the website, I think you're in a no-lose situation there. Mm-hmm. But I don't get the sense of why the me- – and I get why it's a topic on Sports Talk Radio, but why we feel like we have to trade Nick Foles. If you can't get anything, we are perfectly content. Yay makes a lot of money. Yay's going to get a little more than other backups. 
backups, but this is something the Eagles committed to before last season, before they were a playoff team, before they were the Super Bowl champions. The, we want to spend, invest heavily in the backup position. And by God, it worked last year. And now you're going to be going into a season where your star quarterback is coming off an injury. It's very, not that you're going to replace him with Foles, but it may take him multiple games. What if Foles starts the season 4-0 and for the Eagles, and then by the time Wentz comes back, they're out ahead of the pack, and they earn themselves a buy or home field advantage again. Boom, your backup quarterback has just paid for himself. No matter how highly you think of Nate Sudfield, Felt he is a giant unknown and probably doesn't give you the the upside and stability certainly that Nick Foles would. So I think it's foolish to to, to trade him. The strategy worked. I get that you can't just rest on your laurels, but you're in this particular case it it paid off and it's something. It's not like they're keeping Nick Foles around because oh he won the Super Bowl. We feel like we have to pay him this money and keep him around. No, you made that decision before last season when when you thought Nick Foles was a, a shell of the guy who we just saw. Mm-hmm. And you were content with it because it was a good decision. And it's proven to be an even better decision. If anything, that might be a bargain for a backup insurance policy. I get that they need money, and I, 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 I'm not allergic to trading him, but I don't think they need to be like, yes, let's go. I, I don't think that's the case. I think it's it's fair to say that I think we can all agree that it, it's likely that he'll regress to the mean right next season. The, the level that he played at to end the season – and the playoff run that he went through, like I would not expect that in week one of the season. And and I think like a lot of times when when people um, want to make the argument that it's worth keeping him around just to try to keep the team afloat until Carson gets back, I'm often reminded of uh, it, it's not a perfect comparison, but when you have a guy that you're holding on to as insurance for somebody who is your franchise player, and then you don't end up getting anything for him. It takes me back to the rumored trade that had happened in the past with Boston and and the Sixers, where you didn't want to trade Jaleel Okafor or Nerlens Noel because they were your insurance policy, more Nerlens than Ja, were your insurance policy for uh, Joel Embiid. And instead of making a trade that would have netted you a guy like Jalen Brown, uh, you now have essentially nothing to show outside of like Justin Anderson. You have nothing to show uh, for, you know, wanting to keep your insurance policy around now granted they didn't win a championship like it's a very different situation but like kevin was saying the guy's leaving at the end of the year regardless so it it would not make sense to uh to hang on to him unless no really like no they but they decided that before last season before last season, they decided we want him here for two years. It's not like you're hanging on to this expiring contract. They didn't sign him last year and expect to have him around for two years only to say, well, we're going to trade him after this first year. Because in all likelihood, when they signed him, he was going to be a backup and he was still going to be right now today. He'd be the Nick Foles we thought he was a year ago and basically more or less untradeable, uh, you know, or certainly not bringing back the kind of value he might bring back now. Um, it's probably a better way to put it. So like they went into this thinking like, yeah, we're not going to get anything for him on the back. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I get, no, yeah. I mean, I they, get what you're saying. No, I, Russ, they were, my point was like, you're saying, well, you know, you can't just not get anything for him when he leaves. Well, well, sure you can, because when they signed, they weren't expecting to be able to flip him this year when they signed him last year. They expected him to stick around for two yeah, years. Yeah, and the signing of Nick Foles last year was met with plenty of criticism because of the cap hit he was going to have. He made more than Carson Wentz did last year, 
I mean, he was on obviously like Wentz is on a rookie deal, but like this wasn't a, a universally we were, approved we move. Wrong. It was it was and shades we of Chase Daniel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I'm saying it was like shades of Chase Jan- of Chase Daniel. You're paying a guy, you know, like a, a a really high salary for a backup quarterback. Like it wasn't like this was a revered move, and it might have actually, you know, had it not played out the way that it did, it might have actually been a bad signing. It but sliding scale in mind, but sliding scale in mind, it worked. I, it was brilliant. Okay, yeah. Okay, it was great. Brilliant. So. Yeah, you saved the it, season. It you legitimately yes, saved worked. a season by making that move. Like, no matter what happened, if if they did not have someone of Nick Foles' caliber, they don't win the Super Bowl. They probably don't. They probably don't get to the Super Bowl. I mean, you needed. I mean, all right, maybe you beat the Vikings because you know I mean, Nick Foles was absolutely you're, brilliant. You're a little bit hype. He won the. Yeah, he, he was. He helped he them solidify the, the Rams game for sure you know, as well. He he. Play great against the Giants. Like I get what you're saying. I I'm willing to. Like, I just think it's it would be stupid to hang on to him now because you want to have him as the insurance policy. But like why? unless that unless is why they got him and it turned out to be a great decision. But even, even beyond that, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand what your problem is. What I'm saying is, if you have an offer out there of a first and a third, I'm not, or even or even a second or a second and a conditional that could like turn into a second again next year and you don't take that like I think you're out of your mind. I agree with you. I agree with you. I'm not so saying So then what are you yelling about? I'm not saying what, don't trade cuz cuz it sounds like what you're saying is I don't get why you would want to have an expensive insurance policy. I think no, that's the I, wrong way to look at. It. I look, if you have a great deal for him and his value is such right now that he's going to return more value than he will likely be worth then yes i and and Kyle, certainly going value, forward, i get that but i don't think you, any value you sound that's like above a saying, second round pick no any value that's above a second round pick is that is better than anything he's going to give you because like look in a worst case it? scenario he just you the Super yeah because listen because if okay but that has nothing to do with next season it like, might okay let's it say let's say on the Eagles might be super bowl no. contenders next year and you have a quarterback who's coming off and it, a major let's say major Carson comes back injury. week six okay week six sure Okay. Okay. What let's are, what's the Eagles' Foles, record in let's week say, six? Let's are say, they three let's and two or I, four I don't know. and one what's or five what's and their, Do we have their schedule? doesn't matter. It does matter. No, it doesn't. Because it certainly does. Trying to predict the schedule right now is bullshit and you know No, I'm, I'm, no, I'm saying it certainly matters. If you're going to go up against, like, say your first six they're games. They're the best team in football. Teams, it doesn't matter who they're playing. Uh, they were the best team in football last year, and they have some, you know, massive salary cap issues that they have to kind of resolve. My I don't God. know what. You're, you are so stuck, like. You Great. hate, play, they won you the hate Super Bowl playing the fa- schedule game as much as I do. The schedule really... The, like what the I'm saying is, if February it turns out that they matter. have a difficult schedule, it doesn't matter if you have Nick We Foles don't know what a difficult schedule is because it's fucking February, and I, fucking February, the Eagles are, are Super just Bowl being, champions. No, I'm not being, being unreasonable. I'm not being unreasonable. If I, if, I think if it's, it's fair to say, if Nick Foles comes out and you go 3-3, and you go 3-3 and in the first six games with Nick Foles, and then Carson comes back and he leads you to the playoffs, right? Was was keeping Nick Foles over getting two second round picks because you you were holding out for a first? Is is going three and three in the first six games worth it? I would say no. Probably like, not. I think but it's, they it's also worth, probably it's do worth not getting... go three and three in the first six. Yeah, but you games. guys are you guys are just based playing on hypothet- what? You guys you don't are just know playing what, hypotheticals but like, here. But like, I mean, you none don't of know this what matters. They could go six and zero. Oh, they could go zero oh and six. They could go three and three. If you're looking at recent history, the whole reason they went to the Super Bowl this year is because they put time and money into the backup quarterback position. So, yes. I mean, I, d- I just don't, judging by recent history, I, I just say if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If Nick wants to go somewhere else, fine. If he wants to stay here, you keep him. And what you do is that if, you lose, he- if you lose Bradham or Bo Allen or whoever the hell, Patrick Robinson in, in free agency, 
then you just use your 30-second pick to draft that guy's replacement, cut Vinnie Curry and, and let Darren Sproles walk, and, and patch up the salary cap that way. I mean, you don't have to do a ton here. I mean, they got to navigate the cap, but there's really not going to be a ton here. I just think I go back to the most recent history. The only thing this town has wanted more than anything is the first Super Bowl of all time. They got the first Super Bowl of all time because of the backup quarterback. And if that's what it takes to repeat or do it again next year, then then don't fuck with that, you know? I would argue that if you don't believe that Doug Peterson is capable of, of putting in place a an offensive game plan that can fit Nate Sudfeld or whoever the backup quarterback strengths are the same way that he did for Nick Foles, then I think you're you're underestimating your coach. I, I, I don't, don't think, think we're I don't think Nick Foles was this I don't think we're underestimating Doug Peterson. I, Doug Peterson has done a marvelous job. If you're making job, it and sound like Nick you, Foles is the only guy who could lead you to a three and three record, I, but then like I, I, Russ, I don't you think made that's... up three and three. They probably won't be three. They they're going to look, look. I know it's before the season, and your same thing about the schedule. Not, and I'm saying you're not going to know how good teams are. The Eagles will be a legitimate Super Bowl contender entering this season, going into the offseason, entering the season. Their cap problems are not so crazy that they have to completely blow this up. They're going to enter this season as a legitimate Super Bowl, legitimate NFC contender. They most likely, regardless of who the quarterback is, they're probably not starting off 3-3. Three and three. They, Frankly, they should be better than that. They just won the Super Bowl. Like This should be a team that has the potential to start off 5-4-2, and 5-1, and and no problem. That's not... Certainly not unreasonable. So you're just making up, oh, well, what if Nick Foles goes 3-3? Three and three? Your point about Doug Peterson is a good one. There are people and there are, like, I'm not, hold on. Hold on. I'm not rage quitting. I need to plug in my laptop or we're going to lose the recording. Go ahead. You, Go. you keep going. Okay. There are people in NFL circles uh, who believe that Doug Peterson had, had much more to do with the Eagles' success than Nick Foles did these last few months and give him more of the credit. I think that is totally fair, and I, I have— at this point, all the faith in Doug Peterson, because every piece he's been given almost, with the exception of Kenyon Barner, who is uh, disappointing. Uh, no, Wendell Smallwood, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, my boy. He's been able to turn, what's that? No, I'm saying Your Wendell's boy, yeah. my boy's a mountaineer. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, you, but he's been able long. to turn every, every, <laughs> I know, you got some hate for that. <laughs> I like that piece. I thought that made, I thought. I think you made a lot I of sense. do a separate part um, on that. Yeah, but I, you know, Doug Peterson. Give him all the credit in the world. I think he could, he can get a get a lot out of. He could squeeze juice from just about anything, and and that's all the credit to him. But you're you're kidding yourself if you think Nate Sudfeld, unless there's something we just don't know about him, is going to be able to come in here like the veteran that Nick Foles is and play the way oh Foles. Did. I mean, Foles was downright remarkable. This wasn't just he wasn't a game manager. He was slinging the ball downfield against one of the best defenses in the NFL and then the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl and out legitimately outdueling Tom Brady uh in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. Uh I don't think or keeping up with Tom Brady in the fourth quarter. Well, of the I Super look forward Bowl. to Nick Foles being a top 10 quarterback wherever he lands next year because he's this incredible talent and he certainly has never shown that he can be a mediocre quarterback. Russ, do you hear yourself? Do you know how yeah, ridiculous I, I what you said you're just being sounds? Del- I think you're being delusional. I mean, he just he just 
put up 40 plus points Doug Peterson in the Super Bowl. You're acting like you're acting like I'm saying this last year at this time. Like, hey, you know, Nick Foles, if Carson Wentz gets hurt, Nick Foles can can lead us to the Super Bowl and beat the Patriots. You would have and should have laughed at me at that point. But it just happened. I don't think he's a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. But I do think coming Where into Where would he rank as a starter? It doesn't honestly like uh, we, no, it's really hard like, to say. It's it's take, honestly take really hard teams. to say. Like where if he if he had a start next year, like where where is he? He's I think not it, top ten. I think it depends he, on situation. I really do where he falls in that, because I think in the right scheme under the right coach, which the Eagles situation was for him this season, he could be very good. I think obviously we've seen with him in the wrong situation, like any quarterback, he could be. Very bad, and anywhere in the middle, he's been more good than bad in yeah, his career. Guys, he's been down. I listen. think that's. I think that's what speaks to my point about oh my Doug. Doug is the one who crafted the entire system around him. He went back during the bye week, and he he essentially redrew the entire offensive game plan to fit his strengths. But like, you have to be. You have to have someone with the. I'm not saying Nate Sudfeld can't possibly be good. I, we're going down a. Yeah, we don't know anything here. about it. You don't know anything about it. You guys are sitting right. We know a hell of a lot about Nick. You guys are sitting here. We know a hell of a lot about Nick Foles, though. You guys are sitting here. My arguing point is, about Russ, like a win-win situation, though. I mean, no matter what the outcome is, they're gonna be they're gonna be fine. Either you end up with the quarterback who just won you your first Super Bowl of all time. He's coming back next year, or you flip him for some high draft picks. I mean, they, there there can I, be there can be no wrong here. There can be no wrong. I agree with that. I also feel like don't Russ try to worry city. about how good he's going to be for another team. It doesn't matter if he comes back to no, the No, but Eagles. I feel like Russ is coming down on the side of it. It, it Russ is almost calling it borderline ridiculous to want to keep Nick Foles around, which which seems crazy. If you if you at a certain value. That's my that's been my whole point. Like if you're offered a fourth round pick, of course not. Right. I agree. I, I think there's I think there's a there's a certain threshold for like where it is ridiculous. Like if you're offered a, what, what do they need draft picks for? I mean, this team they they need they, okay. linebackers. What linebackers okay, so they get? No, no, so if they no, no, lose no, Nigel Bradham, and they're and they're basing it on uh-huh. on Hicks, right? Hicks is always hurt, and we don't know yeah. what's going to happen with Kendrick. Okay, so they you need draft linebackers. the linebacker thirty-two. So, I'd consider drafting two. I would consider drafting a tackle. You need an offensive tackle. You need somebody to replace Jason Peters. Like you is like I know that Vitai. Like it's not the same argument as Foles, but like Halapulavati Vitai played out of his mind down the stretch for this team, but like. He he had shown in plenty of games in the season that like he he had been overmatched and maybe it was like a change in the scheme I mean, and it was a change in the way that they were developing. The game went on. You know, I mean, blocking. Like he, was, he was he was great in the Super Bowl. Like I just I just don't think he was. I don't he think was fantastic. I, think, I just don't I know what he looks like next year. Like, like are the, you like you get the, all this all these picks or whatever for Nick Foles? But this is not a team that has you know that was fourth place in the NFC East coming off a of seven and nine I mean they need to make a couple tweaks and a lot of it is salary cap related it's not all necessarily because they have holes maybe you lose Bo Allen maybe you go defensive tackle maybe you lose Nigel Bradham maybe you go another linebacker there maybe you cut Vinnie Curry and you let Derek Barnett take his snaps but again I, I don't think that I think you need I, a corner I mean I don't know you got Sidney Jones I coming back you know, you got resu- we don't know what Sidney Jones is coming off of that well, Achilles. You don't have, know what Nate seen? Sunfeld is. Watch, I win. Yeah, you're going to have to trust, like we, trust these guys at some point. Like If, if Patrick Robinson walks, you can have Sidney Jones come, come back, put somebody else in the slot. Who has a much Rasool, more higher pedigree than Nate Sunfeld. You know, I mean, you could play the what-if game a lot, of, a, a lot of ways, but again, this is a win-win situation. It is, it is impossible for Howie Roseman to fuck this up. Brian Colangelo could not fuck this up. Ruben Amaro Jr. could not fuck this up. Uh, Ruben Ernie could. Stewart could not. Ruben well, could. Ernie, yeah. R- Paul Holmgren could. Paul Holmgren but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's, you want to sit here and play the hypothetical game, what if, 
you know, based on a win-win situation, we should be sitting here saying like, hey, they're in a perfect situation because no other backup in the league has the kind of value that Foles has. So either they flip him for a bunch of picks and they rebuild that way, or they keep their great backup quarterback and they just use pick number 32 to address who leaves in free agency. They're not going to lose everybody in free agency. It's not like they got to get rid of all four of them. You can make some cuts here and eat some, eat some dead cap and they'll go on from there. So I, I, they're in good position. They don't, they don't really need anymore. They're not in desperate need of picks right now. And uh, my, my last thing on this, um, because I just want to make it clear, Russ, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying that um, they, they should avoid trading him at all costs. They would, even if they offer you a first, if you get offered a first round pick, I'd probably, I'd definitely entertain it. My, 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 I I don't even know how you say you definitely entertain it. Like you take it. I, I think okay. that's where you and I don't agree. Okay, sure. Okay. I take a first-round pick every You day. sound like, you know, you fall more on the side of, like, being slightly more eager to get rid of him than, than I am, whereas I'm, I fall on the side of being slightly more eager to keep him around. And my reason for that is is basically what Kevin just described. Like, you have a known known at this point, and, and that is – and you also have a known unknown, which is what – is going to be Carson Wentz's situation. The Eagles should be a legitimate contender next year. Um, there's no reason why they shouldn't be. Yes, they have to make a couple of tweaks, just like any team that wins a Super Bowl. You lose a coach, player goes over the cap, you're going to have to make a trade. A hundred, Totally. But largely, the core of this team will remain intact with your head coach. They should go into the season as, as a, a potential favorite. And you're coming into it with Carson Wentz, who may legitimately, this isn't like some crazy hypothetical, he may legitimately not be ready to start the season. That is a, a very realistic possibility. And if I would have, you know, the whole reason they got Foles last year was to provide insurance behind a quarterback who was, you know, young and inexperienced and, you know, if he got hurt and all of this stuff, and you that was on a team that you probably seriously didn't actually think that was a Super Bowl contender at that point. Going into next season, you now know that you have a Super Bowl caliber team, and you might have to go a month or two, or hell, God forbid, a setback on Wentz in an even longer period of time, or just yet another freak injury. Quarterback is the most important position in all of sports, and you just prove that your philosophy of having a guy who you trust, who is who who is a plus level backup, can not only make you not miss a beat or keep the ship afloat, but can actually win you the Super Bowl, which I I, I get is is unlikely to happen again that Nick Foles slings his way through the Super Bowl. But if you have to play four, six, even eight weeks potentially. With, with your backup quarterback, and you have a team that otherwise is constructed to win the Super Bowl, then yeah, I'm actually okay overspending a little bit there because one, you've already made that decision before last season that you were okay spending that for two years on Nick Foles. And two, that strategy proved itself out and it just won you the Super Bowl. So I'm I'm down for... If Carson Wentz is if Carson Wentz may not be ready to go, then I absolutely want to keep Nick Foles around because if nothing else, he could probably still get you to a point by the time Wentz returns, based on what we've seen recently under Doug Peterson with Nick Foles, where you're still in a position to have a buy or be or get home field advantage, and that's ultimately what the regular season is about. 
And if you have to play September and October with a backup, I yeah, I absolutely want it to be Nick Foles. You have a Super Bowl window and it's wide open right now. Um, you don't. This isn't like mortgaging the future to keep him around. It's like yeah, you know, maybe you forgo one draft pick offer in an, in an effort to win another Super Bowl next year. I don't think that's an unreasonable take. No, I I don't know what you. I no, we're just gonna keep keep arguing in circles about it. I I don't even want to offer a rebuttal. Body bag, body bag. No, it's 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 not. It's just we're just gonna keep going further and further in circles. All right. Speaking of circles, um, let's roll. Uh, a circle, a circle is what a zero is, and uh, Kevin can attest to this. The Philadelphia Union won their uh, season opener uh. two <laughs> two nil. How about that. That was an exciting moment. Kevin, uh, takeaways from the uh, Philadelphia Yeah, their opponent played like dog shit. And uh, the Union punished them for it, and they won the game. Once again, a Philadelphia team defeats a Bob Kraft-owned This has been been your Philadelphia Union minute. Yeah. Um, Kyle, do I read an iTunes review or no? If, If Kevin can stomach it. This one I think is going to just so uh, we we haven't done them in a while, but uh, here <laughs> the last three are funny. So three, uh, this person Kalel uh, two eight one need a third host five stars. Get rid of Russ, and this becomes a great podcast. <laughs> the next the the next one Eags Rock twenty more Russ and Adam less Kyle five stars. I enjoyed the two week absence of Kyle. Bummer he's back. Just keep having Russ. They're not douches. But then we get to my favorite, the one that I think really kind of strikes strikes home here. By Russ's bodyguard. I don't know who this person is, but I want to meet them. And Dynamics, five stars. Uh, fellas, you three and I go way back. Back to episode number uh, numero uno. Russ, please translate. I have lived through the growing pains with you guys. The sound issues, technical delays, random absences have been less than ideal. But all are understandable considering the gang... Uh, is working full-time and doesn't have a professional studio. With that said, the last three weeks has really shown me something I didn't expect to see. With Kyle out, Russ and Adam left to run the show. The flow and dynamic of the pod was like night and day. The balance of dynamic is great. Why, you ask? Most likely because uh, each offers each other the uh, opportunity to complete a thought without being cut off after every third word. Love the pod those weeks. And now with Kyle back, it has been really difficult to listen to. The dynamic between Kyle and Russ is an issue. Kyle, do we have an issue? You know, I I, th- <laughs> I don't think we would have. No, the whiny and bitter, someone... the whiny and bitter undertone by which Kyle speaks to Russ is really tough to be around. Russ is a smart dude who has is offered the same some guy? Of the most logical takes. Yeah, out of okay. the all three, Kyle continues to to treat him like he's doing him a favor, allowing him to be on the pod, <laughs> but has to remind Russ that he's beneath Kyle repeatedly throughout every episode. It's not over yet. Uh, <laughs> When Adam isn't around a referee, it's 10 times worse. I really do appreciate the content and, again, have been with you guys from the start. It's just becoming so obvious that Kyle's constant uncontrollable need to prove to everyone that he couldn't possibly be wrong about anything and that Russ's opinions are amateur and therefore needed to be prefaced and corrected by the all-knowing Kyle needs to stop ASAP. P.S. LeBron going... uh, Getting LeBron would be like studying for the bar exam for four years and then being offered the answers on the, uh, the day before the test. Would you take it? Probably but how would you feel uh, broadcasting your eventual passing grade if everyone knew you were given the answers? We all spent this time studying and being given the answers at the 11th hour. 
uh, it would at very least make a ton of Die Hard. Whatever, I'm I'm done with this. You are anyway, my you are Kyle. my you are the you are my fill. You are my fill to Kevin's fill. Does that make sense? <laughs> I am the Kevin to I, your fill. No, you're the How's you're the work? you're the Jeff. Are we like Phil and Jeff? No, like the way Kevin feels about Phil is how I feel about your sports opinion sometimes. But I mean, I, it's like I, I think people need to know that like our, our bickering is I, all in good fun. Like we get worked up about our opinion. I've only really, not I've only really blown hostile. up. Yeah, I only really got to, truly pissed off once at Phil, and I don't even remember what it was for. But like, I don't oh, get, I, remember what I don't was, get we mad don't that often. Like, yeah. I just have this kind of like laid back. Uh, like stoner vibe for the most part but when i like get mad i like fucking like lose it i don't remember he like said something that i thought was in- insulting to it me was, and i just like it was about it was about opinions and working on the <laughs> that's beat. right he questioned my uh like my uh, approach to the beat or something like that and i just like my top of my head blew off and flames just came out or something <laughs> so like the cartoon guy i never thing. yep but here i am so anyway here Kyle? i am uh trying to be the the uh mediator on uh the crossing broadcast thank thank god you were here i find ross a good i think you're a good sparring partner okay that's (laughs) with a wide base what do i say to to that with a no 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 you said a strong base or a solid base not a wide base let's not a wide defensive i think we just fundamentally have we have our Sports, it's not contrived. Like, you know, when you listen on Sports Talk Radio, a lot of times everyone before the show, let's, we're going to pick a side here and we're going to debate it and try and elicit calls. When you talk, I genuinely take issue with a lot of your opinions. But And I with yours. Yeah, and that's okay. We could go That's at what it. happens when a kid who grew up in a town of coal mines, you know, gets, gets uh, matched up with Pots a guy too. who, uh, oh, you know, man. went to Malvern Prep. Oh, man. So, I grew like, up like you know, halfway in between, you know, we, so that's a... And again, well, you're the didn't go to your school, episode. So. Yeah, my sources uh, uh, at Boyertown said that LeBron did not stop by the campus in Berks County. <laughs> the Berks it's County campus. Sad. Yeah. Sad. Last thing, Russ. <laughs> yeah. And also, I, I, and I'm to that commenter who who feels like they know you. Um, <laughs> I really want to search. Like, can I search their email? Feels like it's Is Nancy. Um, no, no, um, I, no, I, 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 you know, where the reason I, I think I sometimes so vociferously disagree with you is because I like what you were just saying about Foles. I agree in principle. If you got a good offer, take it. I think it's sometimes when you're explaining how you got to that opinion, there's something you'll say like midway through that trips me up. And I, I like laser focus on that because you like generally, like, I think we have the same, like, um, bottom line on something but when you explain to me how you got there sometimes i will take issue with like i'll take you know show your work i'll take issue with the show your work portion be like i think russ used the calculator to get here because i'm not following his work does that make sense those are that said does that make sense so many times in this episode <laughs> i think you've said it more in this time than in like the previous 120 episodes of the show i get occasional uh social i also haven't spoken for three weeks so i'm all wild up too you have to remember that um, it's, it's really exciting but you know just imagine you're, you're a like, teacher you're listening to this do you just, teach what, math yeah, i am what do you teach math oh i, I teach everything okay 
So if student, if you gave a student a complex division problem, they got the right answer, right? But then the show your work part was just, you were like, what You're giving f- me an anecdote that just made sense. Yeah. I know, right. I know what what the F is yeah. this, right? You would say, okay, well, I agree they got the right answer. Maybe they used the calculator, but I take serious exception with how they got there. That's sort of, that's sort of how we, I go on your sports opinions. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. I, I just, I just look at your sports opinions and I realize that after the fact, when they're wrong, they're wrong, and when they're wrong, they're glaringly wrong. And I'll own you know, it. How I was wrong about Doug yeah. Peterson and Legarrette Blunt, Legarrette Blunt, and the Nick Foles signing. And I realized today that we had a T-shirt design. I was going through some things from like a year and a half ago when they brought back Howie, and we had actually designed a, f- a fire Howie shirt, and it was a fire emoji with like an emoji of Howie Roseman, and we never put it for sale. Pretty glad we did it at this point. Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe you should sell it as a, uh, just as as like part of like do a discounted collection of like it, bad takes. It was a bad design, but yeah, we should oh. we should do that in like our bad take category. Yeah, make yeah. an ugly uh, ugly Christmas sweater out of it this year. What was wrong? I will never say anything Maybe. bad about any of the current Eagles or that regime ever. They could do any, they can go one in fifteen next year. I will never say anything bad about them ever again. Yeah, I, I find that incredibly hard to believe. I will not. We'll mark this uh, this episode down with that. Uh, I think it's a good place to end. Kevin, any last uh, parting words? Any last uh, union minute things you wanted to get off your chest? Any Anything you took great exception no, to? No, it, uh, it was a pleasure to be on the podcast. It was great to be with you. And uh, we'll do it again sometime. Kyle? That's it. I'm surprised wow. Kevin hasn't hung that himself was, yet. Was, I had to run back to the microphone. I got was, up and went over to do something else while I was listening to you guys wrap it up. Kevin, and... Kevin's uh, up on a on a chair with a, a little chisel writing Brooks was here. Is that what we're getting? Is that what we're getting at? That's great Shawshank Redemption knowledge out of you. Thank you, Tony. Uh, and on that, I think it's time to end. Uh, this has been the Crossing Broadcast. Don't forget, go on to iTunes, leave a five-star review. Let us know how you think the inner workings and the dynamics of all of those of us who are on the Crossing Broadcast work, and feel free to write the longest, most obnoxious uh, uh, review possible. And to uh, the person who's Russ's bodyguard, I want to meet you. Uh, come out to the next live pod, which I think we have coming up uh, in the next month. So, um, leave a five-star review. Follow us on Twitter. Kevin, what are you, at K Kincaid? Uh, Is that right? No, it's uh, Kevin underscore Kincaid. There you go. And uh, Kyle at Crossing Broad, me at Joy on Broad. Follow us, continue the conversation, and tell Kyle that he's wrong. Talk to you Wednesday.